No, I, I've never really been a big Mussolini sympathiser, what with him being a fascist and all. I guess we'll come on to talking about De Canio later in the show, but all in all, a rather unedifying spectacle to see a, a good old traditional club appoint a, a self-confessed fascist. Mm, yes, one that has tried to pull that back. I mean, I guess we can talk about Sunderland because it's all interconnected, isn't it? United went to Sunderland last weekend, pulled off a narrow victory, got Martin O'Neill the sack. Got to say, it provoked a question in my mind. What exactly was it that the Sunderland board expected from playing the best team in the Premier League, uh, the team that's 15 points clear and, and always beats them? Yeah, I mean, I think in a way the fact that they always beat them means that the, the fixture sort of, in a way, maybe they just wanted to sack him after that woeful, woeful performance against Norwich and thought, well, we'll just get through the United game and then give him the sack. But also the fact that O'Neill looked so incredibly flat he just looks like he's had all the life sapped out of him. And, you know, we, we talked about him quite a lot last week, didn't we? And the one thing we didn't mention, which which really came as a surprise to me, is he's 61 years old. So it's not, you know, he definitely is getting up there now, isn't he? That is a surprise to me. I didn't realise he was that old either. Uh, so, you, you know, you kind of think of O'Neill as a sort of young manager for some reason, but he obviously has been around for a really long time as a manager. And I really hope this is not his last job, and I, I'm sure it won't be, but I'd like to see him go out on a bit more of a high. Right, well, it's kind of prescient. We spent quite a long time last week talking about where, you know, whether getting the sack at Sunderland would uh, lead to his uh, eventual demise as a manager and whether where he could go from here. I guess we both thought he'd probably get the sack in the summer rather than uh, with eight games to go. Pretty, I have to say, given that it is only eight games to go a really odd decision because what exactly is it that the Sunderland board expects they're going to get now are they hoping to get a bump from the new manager in the final eight games of the season you know I I guess uh, Di Canio being Di Canio he's going to be a bit of a disciplinarian I don't know too much about his politics and he has come out today and said I'm not I I do not have a fascist ideology which is kind of a a weird doublespeak way of saying I'm not a fascist having previously said I am not a racist I am a fascist which if you really dig down into it it's sort of possible to hold a kind of a a fascist ideology in in a kind of really purely literary sense without being a kind of nasty racist but Mussolini is not an admirable character he was a rampant vicious colonialist and completely sold the Jewish population of Italy down the river in order to gain favour with Hitler. You know, not not a nice piece of work. Well, uh, the very reverend Michael Sadgrove wrote to De Canio in an open letter about three o'clock this afternoon saying it it takes a great deal of sophistication to tell the two apart. And, And that's right. Defining fascism is one of those topics of philosophical debate that probably will never end because it is difficult because it's not left and right per se. And Mussolini's regime supported the Nazis in the Second World War, so directly and indirectly led to the death of millions of people. It's hard to square that circle for Di Canio. He's come out and sort of, as you say, in a kind of doublespeak way, denied it, but not really. And it's a bit of a problem because apparently he's got this tattoo, which is, again, you know, can't exactly write that off as the the, uh, error of youth, can he? And when he goes around giving Nazi salutes to the ultras, then that kind of paints him in a certain picture as well. Anyway, so we were talking about Martin O'Neill, who I'm pretty sure is not a fascist. 
No, uh, but the reason I kind of brought the Decanio stuff up is there is a certain bizarre logic to appointing a kind of fiery, crazy man in this position because if ever a new manager is going to give you a kind of motivational bump, some, you know, heart on his sleeve, chest-pounding, shouty Italian dude is probably as good a chance as any of getting something out of Sunderland's really lacklustre squad. I mean, they they were rubbish against United and that was an awful lot better than they played against Norwich. And, you know, it was because Sunderland was so terribly poor that United uh, managed to win that game because United were not no great shakes themselves, were they? No, pretty poor performance from United. Poor, poor against Sunderland. Poor against Reading a couple of weeks before before the international break. Not so great against Chelsea in the FA Cup and. And, you know, OK, pretty good against Real Madrid for a certain period of time. Uh, but, you know, that's uh, that, that's a series of results that have gone mostly United's way, give or take the cup competitions, but no great performances there. So the, the season feels like it's winding down a little bit. And, you know, fortunately, there's that huge gap and, and United keep managing to pick up points like at Sunderland. You know, there's definitely nothing much in that performance from United, but but enough to gain the points. So, interesting team selections all round across the two games. Kagawa had a really good half of football against Sunderland in the first half. Made a difference. My friend Joe pointed out to me that you look at, you watch Carrick's passing to Kagawa, and Carrick will give Kagawa the ball in situations he wouldn't give it to other players because he's so comfortable in tight spaces on the ball. There was some really nice football played, actually, in that first half. It, it really went completely horrendously flat for the beginning part of the second half. But, yeah, for the, the first half, it was sort of quite lively and buzzy. And, in fact, United probably should have made more of, of that period of dominance. Van Persie's goal, in inverted commas, obviously, clearly not his goal. A, an own goal off Titus Bramble. Titus Bramble and John O'Shea, of course, the centre-back pairing for Sunderland. If they were like a celebrity couple, like Benefer or whatever, they would be O'Shambles, which sort of works pretty well, I think. Well, it's, that's about right, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's not Van Persie's goal. Bit unfortunate because he, he celebrated it like a madman. Obviously, he's he's not had a great goal-scoring return in recent times, so it's a tough one for him. And the interesting thing about the formation, though, it, it was quite balanced, right? You know, it had it had a nice feel to it, even if there were a few changes. We had players mostly in their right positions, you know, all the back four were. We had a, a genuine right-winger, Young was out on the left. We had a, a fairly balanced midfield. Kagawa's sort of playing in the the shadow of Van Persie so there might have been a few changes but it's it was hard to say that any kind of disjointed performance was on the basis of there not being balance in the side and we can come on to Chelsea in a bit but I thought Kagawa was excellent for 45 minutes not much more than that you know obviously he got hauled off after about 80 or so it's it's probably one of his failings isn't it I mean I know he's suffered for not having enough football this season for injury and and all of that and and being rotated around various different positions in the side but uh, he, he probably doesn't finish enough games either he does get substituted quite a lot that is sort of proving to be a problem and I hope it doesn't turn out to go over into next season and you wonder if it's a sort of to throw away the to throw around the kind of current cliche of the day you wonder whether it's a kind of sports science decision that he's being looked after in a particular way because of his physical state after injury especially like a very very large part of last season Mr. Injury as well so you know he's obviously being nursed isn't he you predicted that there would be a stronger united lineup in the sunderland game than the chelsea game and i thought it would be flip-flopped you are absolutely right uh, sunderland was obviously the game where everything made sense selection wise i mean in terms of like you know as you say it was a very balanced formation the only 
thing I would disagree with you is you said a genuine right, right winger and it wasn't. It was Antonio Valencia. So just just a small correction on that matter. He used to be a genuine right winger. Now I have no idea what he is. Yeah, well, he put in his best performance for some time against Chelsea from right back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is, again, slightly confusing, isn't it? But this this whole question of the wingers, uh, I, I couldn't help but think about it this week because it's it, it's a real problem, isn't it, for United? I mean, Nani's had a very poor season. He's I think he's tied 14 games or something like that, and a lot of that's down to injury, but also just being out of favour. Young's not starting many more because he's been in and outside through injury. Valencia's started more than the rest of them, but he's obviously lost a massive amount of confidence. Everyone else who's played on the wing is not a winger. I mean, you can't call Ryan Giggs a winger anymore, really. You know, he he does tuck inside and. And Rooney's played out there and Kagawa's played out there and Welbeck's played out there a lot and it doesn't really do any of them a favour and, and you kind of wonder what's going to happen in the summer I mean Zahar's coming in but he likes to play off the right as well so let's assume Nani goes because if he doesn't United will have three right wingers and one left winger in Young who likes to play off his right foot it's a real problem isn't it and and the Chelsea game felt like it really was the failing of the wingers was the real problem in that Chelsea game more than anything else like the the formation was set up you can see Ferguson planning the two games and planning it ahead of schedule and working out where his creativity is going to come from and where his goals are going to come from and in the first game as you say very balanced formation with extremely creative number 10 and very effective number 9 it all makes sense that kind of works out although the that very effective number 9 is clearly having problems at the moment with form and fitness and then then you you look at that second game and you think okay well Nani with Valencia behind him there's loads of potential in that then on the left hand side very peculiar decision I thought to play Tom Cleverley effectively at left midfield because Giggs hasn't played for a while and seems like that would have been a really good time to just put Ryan Giggs in that role well, and, and Valencia played as well, right? So, I mean, could, could have played Valencia right back and Nani on the left. There, there were options there, and, and instead he decided to put a very square peg in a very round hole. And, and how many does that time does that actually work? Really, when you see a team with lots of players out of position, you pretty much know that United are not going to put in a good performance. Yeah, the last time it really defied expectation was the game of seven defenders against Arsenal, when where the De Silva twins on both wings, and it was just really we just kind of right. battered, battered Arsenal from the beginning. But but ever since then, it's all been very predictable, really. Yeah, so if you look at the the formation against Chelsea and, and you look at the team, De Gea, Evera, Jones, Fernandes, Smalling, Valencia, Carrick, Nani, Cleverly, Hernandez and Welbeck, right? You'd you'd look at that on paper without knowing anything else and go, ah, oh, that's a four four two and it looks like a balanced one. You know, you've got Jones at right back, Ferdinand and Smalling in the middle, Ever at left back, and then you've got Valencia on the right wing, Nani on the left, Carrick and Cleverly through the centre, and Hernandez and Welbeck up front. Oh no, no sir. <laughs> No, sir. Absolutely not. The Tumbola did come out. This time, not with the team selection, but the formation. He loves it, doesn't he? He just loves a square peg in a round hole. Yeah, very peculiar. As you say, it was all set up. And, and you kind of feel like that team would have been good enough to beat Chelsea because Chelsea were no great shakes. I mean, they scored an absolute wonder goal, but they really should have done a lot better. And in fact, you know, De Gea's continuing immortality in the face of Juan Mata definitely kind of made a difference. And actually, United's defence as a whole was very effective, but there, there was a one or two good United performances. But the front six, basically, certainly the front four, the two wingers and the players through the middle. I mean, the players through the middle didn't have a lot to do because... The wingers were just so incredibly awful. Yeah, he had one. He had one, didn't he? We had a question from at Just Red United saying, was Nani's performance on Monday the final straw in his dwindling United career? What do you make of that? 
Well, actually, I think the final straw came some time ago, so that's it. it's not really that at all. I mean, he's he's off, right? United did try to sell him in the winter window, and they'll take the biggest bid they can get this summer because there's too much disparity between the two parties in terms of wages. He's not about to sign a new contract. Uh, there's He's clearly not putting in the performances that justify it either, right? You know, as much talent as he's got, he's, he's just not doing it. And the argument that I made at the end of last season was that you can take the frustration because he puts up the numbers where well, he's not putting up the numbers anymore so it's really hard to justify having someone on those kind of wages in the squad so no I think the final straw came long ago he had a really bad game let's put it down to injury and the fact that he's not played for a couple of weeks and he's a bit rusty but the thing with Nani is you know really quickly whether he's having a bad one or not don't you you know and and it, it didn't take much longer than five minutes to work out that he was having a bad one and the interesting thing I thought with Nani is actually a lot of the frustration with him comes when he doesn't do the right thing you know he shoots when he should pass he cuts in when he should go wide he passes when he could shoot and well that's not so often but that wasn't necessarily the case you know he was trying to find the right ball and just it went wrong you know so he had a you know shanked a few quite wide and and the passing was horrible and he just couldn't beat his man and he was shooting wide and and all of that kind of stuff at Anton Alfie says, who's the most frustrating player you've ever seen in a red shirt? It's got to be someone who's played at least 20 games. And I think for a player to be truly frustrating, they can't just be bad. You know, they have to be not living up to their potential or they have to be bad in a way that is making it impossible to understand why they're being picked. And, you know, I mean, Nani is right up there. I, I guess for me, the, the current situation around Anderson is perhaps the most frustrating because I think it's it's just very sad what's happened to his career because he was so brilliant as a, a young player. Yeah, well, you know, it's his stomach problem he's got, right? Yes, got from the kitchen of KFC, if I'm not much mistaken. Yeah, yeah, tragic, tragic. No, I, I agree with you, Anderson. Actually, one of the others that really frustrated me was Neil Webb, of course, who, who had wonderful talent in terms of his range of passing and, and the, the stuff that he could do on the field and rarely seemed to apply it. Diego Forlan, I just felt for him, I guess, more than being frustrated by him and the fact that it all kind of totally exploded and his career went from strength to strength after that was kind of added to the sort of retrospective sense of frustration. Mm, right, yeah. Michael Owen, because I thought he was a fan. Oh, no, I lie. I lie. <laughs> He's always a waste of space. Uh, you know, Rooney, like, Rooney causes a bit of frustration because of... Uh, but, but that's just about the level of expectation, really, because he has pretty consistently delivered for United throughout his, throughout his career. Yeah, so, but yeah, Nanny, Nanny making a good argument for putting himself in an all-time frustrating 11, for sure. He's definitely on the shortlist. Very good. Send us on Twitter, hashtag Rankcast, your frustrating 11. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, please do, do, do that. Fabian Bartes in goal, absolutely no question about that. Oh, I drive you mental. Yeah, because I remember when he signed, I was so excited when we signed Fabian Bartes. It, it did not, it did not end well. But yeah, Nanny, Nanny's performance against against Chelsea, just part of a really underwhelming and disappointing game. United looked really leggy and just disjointed and out of sorts and absolutely nothing that the as soon as the ball went in the Chelsea final third it all fell apart until about the 75th minute once Giggs was on once Van Persie was on right there was a, a definite sense of purpose and in fact Van Persie should have got the equaliser probably twice I mean yeah. not neither of them easy chances no but for, for someone of Van Persie's quality then uh, certainly the one on the volley he should have got on target I mean it, uh, I, I think two months ago, that's a goal, and United take it into extra time. 
Uh, a word for Danny Welbeck, who is the player who really did, uh, uh, the, the attacking player who really did distinguish himself against Chelsea and very worth checking out the beautifully red uh, Danny Welbeck special uh, from that game. Just some yeah. phenomenal moments. And I, I'm going to stick my neck out and say, I think the complete package is coming with him. I think it's around the corner. That's my view. You think he's going to start scoring goals, do you? Yeah. He's got everything else, but the goals, he's just not getting in the right positions, I think. And and then when he does, on the rare occasion that he does, he can't finish. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just going to click. Bit of a problem for a goalkeeper. A striker. For, for a goalkeeper. <laughs> not so much a problem for a goalkeeper. Talking of goalkeepers, De Gea absolutely like masterful on crosses in that Chelsea game. Yeah, completely commanding in his box, you know. Gave it the shout, came collected the ball although of course the goalkeeper that stole the headlines rightly so is uh Petr Cech for what can only be described as a wonder save from Javier Hernandez I mean it was a phenomenal header phenomenal cross from Danny Welbeck to start with absolutely phenomenal header from Hernandez I guess we're coming to expect that from him now he's probably the best header of the ball in the club isn't he and, and how did Peter Cech keep that out well, you say it can only be described as a wonder save but what I was going to say is it can only be described as De Gea-esque just absolutely staggering staggering save and yeah I mean the one thing I was pretty confident about ahead of that Chelsea game was that Hernandez was not going to score because all the talk was about how he always scores at Chelsea and it had reached a kind of intense further of uh, of definitiveness that he was going to score and I felt like no not today this is this is the one where he doesn't well I think he did because that was goal all over it <laughs> some kind of time shifting took place there it was actually in the net uh, but somehow you know Pedacek has defied the theory of relativity and managed to be in two places at once he learned that off De Gea no question about that no nah, no nah, if it was De Gea he would have saved it with his feet that's true actually yeah 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 the scissor kick save Talking of miraculous off-the-line clearances, I, I did something that I try not to do, and I watched a Liverpool match from start to finish uh, when they played Aston Villa, because I really wanted Villa to do well in that one. Right, did you have a wash afterwards? Stephen Gerrard, you might need a wash after I say what I'm about to say, because I'm about to say something nice about Stephen Gerrard. Uh, have you seen the goal-line clearing header that he did in that game? It was absolutely unbelievable they said on the football ramble that it's like the greatest they were they were being tongue-in-cheek as they all want to do but it was the greatest goal line clearing header of all time it was right up there no no sir i will not and i'm a bit worried about the semi that you're clearly having over Stephen gerrard no no not at all a fine moment of sporting excellence is all yeah anyway enough of of that united very short of fine moments of sporting excellence against chelsea and 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 let's talk about what that means for the rest of the season and most particularly this podcast because basically we're just kind of sleepwalking our way to the league we've got a complete joke of a run-in where after the game this weekend literally nothing interesting is going to happen for the rest of the season unless we drop a load of points so what on earth are we going to have to talk about it not a lot. I mean, there is the derby, so that'll keep us occupied for a couple of weeks. But after that, there's a whole load of drops. Unfortunately, we do have to play Chelsea again for the, like, 18th time this season before the end of the season, you know. So there's a few interesting games coming up, but unless there's a monumental screw-up from United, then, then yeah, not not a lot of tension in the rest of the season. United are going to win this Premier League, for sure. We might drop some points. It won't really be about nerves. It'll be about complacency at this stage or lack of edge, because there will be a lack of edge to the rest of the season now. And that's what the FA Cup was supposed to have provided. But Ferguson prioritised 
criticised the league, you know, a lot of people would have said that maybe you shouldn't have done that, but he made a decision in those two games that the the first priority was the league, going to make sure that there's no screw-ups there, because, and I can see his thinking, because if United had dropped points at Sunderland, or God forbid actually lost at Sunderland, going into the City game, a second loss would have given City a lot of momentum, potentially a six-point swing, and all of a sudden we'd be talking about a nine-point gap, which might be kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, you're right, although, I I don't know, I couldn't... You're right, but (laughs) you're totally wrong, you idiot. (laughs) You are absolutely right, and I'm very glad we beat Sunderland, but I feel like Sunderland are so bad... We really could have played that lineup that played against Chelsea. If, right. if we flip flop the two lineups, you potentially could say that we'll still beat Sunderland, and then Chelsea are going to have a much more difficult time against us. I don't know. So, and then the other question is: if if being fifteen points ahead in the league means that we still can't prioritise the FA Cup, when can we? You know, it's it's going to be it'll be till next season till we have another shot at it, and that'll be ten years since the last FA Cup win. You know, it basically means that Ferguson just doesn't care. The fans do, but Ferguson just doesn't. And he keeps saying he does. I mean, Scott always tweets about the fact that he always says, like, oh, Rio's never won it. And he's like, well, you're not doing anything to help him win it, are you? You just keep saying Rio's never won it. Well, no, quite, you know, the, the time he played the reserves in the FA Cup semi-final against Everton a few years back, right? You know, it, it's just never been a priority. And, and you know, fair enough. It's fair enough because his legacy will not be defined by that. The financial success of the club will not be defined by that. The number of people that care passionately about the FA Cup is smaller. It's it's the real core fan base that cares about the FA Cup, right? It's, you know, it's, it's not what the club's glory is defined by in the modern era. So, you know, it's like in Football Manager, right? Where the board says, we're pleased you won the FA Cup, but we will judge you in performances in other competitions sort of thing. It's like they, it does nothing for. Fergie but you'd think it must do something for the team to be so sort of flat yeah I, I think so and I, th- I think it I think it, it translates into the team performances you know and we, we talked last week about how Rafa Benitez had clearly done the opposite he'd, he'd prioritised the FA Cup when actually what the club really needed was to prioritise the you know, hunt for a Champions League place and, and he got what he wanted as a result Chelsea looked a bit fresher and, and Ferguson did the opposite he deprioritised the FA Cup and prioritised the league and, and look there are some nuances in there because you know it's not like he played a reserve side against the against Chelsea in a the first side against Sunderland but he had a couple of key choices to make and he he chose to play the more balanced side and the players he thought were freshest against Sunderland I suppose yeah and I mean you know it's interesting because one thing I'd like to talk about is Bootner because he had a really interesting game against Sunderland Uh, you know whenever you've got a left back who kind of looks good going forward and is a bit shaky defensively the temptation is always to say oh maybe try him on the wings you know there's no there's no attacking left back in world football that fans of the club haven't that the club that that person plays for haven't said that about it's been said about Everett said about both the De Silva twins and you know it's not always true it's not always what you should do it's sometimes it's just good to have an attacking fullback but Alex Bootner looks every inch the left-sided midfielder and barely at all the left back yeah, I think there's still... I mean, I agree with you in that he can't defend, right? And he, he can't even defend... It's, it's it's not just the technical part, he just can't defend. It's the positional part, which is even worse. He just chases the ball, right? It's 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 so destructive that if Sunderland had actually attacked down the right-hand side, it would have been a real problem for United. Fortunately, they didn't, and he could just be an auxiliary left winger. And I, I don't actually think we'd get the same from him, though. If he was playing on the left wing and he was actually the focus of, a, of the full-back, 
I, I don't think he would have the talent to actually beat the fullback or the nous to disrupt the pattern of play um, that Gareth Bale does when he comes inside so dangerously or, or Ronaldo understands how to target the weakest link in the chain and, and all of that kind of stuff. You know, and obviously I'm making some ridiculous comparisons there because those players that are, are starring on the world stage. I'm not sure Booten has got it, honestly. And, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe he's, a, he's an attacking fullback you can't defend. I do think, though, that given the absolutely torrid form of all our wingers, because Ashley Young hasn't had a good game for months. I'm not in the Ashley Young is completely rubbish camp. Somebody, I'm really sorry, I can't remember who sent me a very, very funny tweet indeed saying he thought that Young and Bootner should switch positions by which he meant Bootner should play on the left wing and that Ashley Young should play for some random team in Holland. I'm not in the camp that thinks that Ashley Young is nowhere near United quality or whatever. I think he's got something to offer when he plays well, uh, but he hasn't played well for a real, real long time. So I do think there's a genuine argument that against weaker teams, not against like the, the best sides with the best defenders, but against the kind of dross of the Premier League, Bootner could definitely do something of a job on the left or we're Manchester United and we're chasing a European Cup and we can get a bloody decent left winger and just just a random thought there you know about standards and expectations and talking of like standards and expectations this is a really odd season because there's every chance that we'll win the Premier League sort of I mean we should say you know we played the record breakers theme tune on the pod last week as we played out we talk about record number of points but we've just beaten the league record and won 25 of the first 30 games of the season which has never been done before and it's an absolutely staggering achievement in terms of just numbers but we're not that brilliant well no I mean I don't think this is a vintage this is not United of 94 or 99 or even 2008, is it? And the benchmark is Europe. And the benchmark is, is how you can perform now. Obviously, the 94 side didn't. But, and you know, this side is OK. We can say we we're unlucky against Real Madrid, but we went out and defended in the Bernabeu, right? So we've had a few weeks now since then to get a bit more perspective and say that actually we weren't miles ahead. We weren't miles behind. But this was not a side that was good enough to win the European Cup. And and that is that not the benchmark? We, we're going to coast to the league. Now, actually, if you look at the numbers, we will pick up more points, but we're not going to really have a better goal difference. In fact, we'll probably end the season scoring about the same, conceding more and having quite possibly a worse goal difference. Than last season, you mean? Than last season, yeah. And, you know, maybe... Maybe the coasting to victory this season is more about Manchester City's failure than United's genuine progression. I want to make a couple of points. One, after the Madrid game, I kind of was blown away by how good United were in that game and surprised by how close we were to Real Madrid, as, as we talked about quite a lot of the time. And none of that's gone away. And I think the best of this United side is absolutely phenomenal. It's just we don't, for various different reasons, we don't see the best of this side very often. And I think that the kind of failure in the cup competitions and you know relative failure let's call it in the cup competitions is kind of indicative of the squad weakness because there are some it's just a very peculiar squad basically I'm not sure we've ever had like you know because fitness has not really been a problem this season we have we've had last season was absolutely horrendous injury wise this season hasn't been like that but the one thing that this squad has suffered from tremendously is players being in and out of form you know there's there's been real hard swings of form throughout the squad 
There has. So there's also been a lot of injuries, of course, which which doesn't help. And and right. I guess a lack of consistency as a result, right? I mean, you know, the early part of the season, the amount of defensive injuries there were were serious, really. And and yeah, I suppose yeah, I forgot about that. Nani has suffered from injury, and and so is Ashley Young. Uh, Rooney and Van Persie have been fit, thank God. In fact, all the strikers have really. You know, it's sort of saved United's season, I suppose. There are definitely some questions, you know, I guess with the the season now winding down, it's the time to ask them, isn't it? The the question has to be asked about the wings because that's been a failing this season and also about central midfield because Michael Carrick's been excellent, but no one else has been excellent. Tom Cleverley's a good season. The real question mark is about what kind of impact he can have on the games, you know. I think he's found his position. I think he's found his position is sort of a, a deeper midfielder because I don't think he has enough impact at 10. Uh, really funny this week. Tony Cascarino wrote a, a column completely destroying Tom Cleverley in the in the Times, and you might say some of the criticisms were fair. Problem was that his premise was entirely that Manchester United play Tom Cleverley at number ten, and he can't play there. I was like, I'm pretty sure I've never seen him play there, or maybe once or twice. And the poor game he had against Chelsea was when he was playing on the left wing. Yeah, bit of a problem with your argument there, Tony. Yeah, absolutely. Tony Cascarino in Getting the Facts Wrong, shocker. This is a man who literally faked an international career. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I the, the other thing that's been so odd, I mean, you know, it's, we're not doing, we're doing this, it feels like we're doing a season roundup, but it kind of feels like that because once we're out of the Cups, the league's pretty much done. We'll, we'll start talking about the City game in a minute and get some build-up and excitement, hopefully. But, you know, the, the fact that the season's been so disjointed, I mean, Sky put up a graphic after the Sunderland game we just haven't conceded a goal. We haven't conceded a goal for what six, seven games, something like that. It's absolutely incredible. Just and we, me and you, spent the whole first half of the season joking about how ridiculous it was to predict a United clean sheet because it would never happen. And we've gone from being like ridiculously swashbuckling in the first half of the season, and then this past third of the season, we've just been boring and solid. I mean, except for ten minutes against Norwich by the you know when they kind of waved the white flag and threw in the towel, and against Real Madrid where we were sort of exciting and solid. If that's the right, you know, if that makes any sense right well so in the early part of the season united compromised defensive solidity for attacking flair right you know chuck four players forward left michael carrick completely exposed and of course there were the defensive problems which compounded all of that latter part of the season ferguson's changed it a little bit you know it's not as though he's really gone to three in midfield because he, he hasn't really not very often anyway you know, it's safer real madrid away when he dropped rooney for most of the time he's played two forwards but he has actually started tucking wingers in. So Ryan Giggs has played, Kagawa has played, he tucks in, and Danny Welbeck plays. He plays in a defensive wide position, doesn't play as a as a you know left side of a front three. So um, United have definitely changed in the way they approach games, and and that was to start racking up points and and to to take de risk a little bit, you know, because the strategy early in the game was was you know it was a big gamble and it paid off most of the time. I think just a couple of exceptions weren't there and they all seem like a very long time ago but you know the season of like the 3-2 every week and having to come back from behind and Van Persie being this kind of unstoppable aura of uh, you know it's all going to turn around it just it just doesn't feel like it was this season like, you think back to that, that City game anyway let's enough enough retrospective we'll come back to this at the end of the season let's let's do some some Twitter questions then before we get to a preview of the City game at Super Tom Clevs asks, I'm not sure it's the actual Super Tom Clevs asks, if you could have one at MUFC underscore Facebook post made into a banner at Old Trafford, what would it be? And I have to say, this is a very, very, very difficult question for me to answer because many MUFC underscore Facebook posts are close to my heart. 
I think since the questions come from at some super Tom Klebs, I think Tom, comma, grab the horse of continuum might definitely be one option. But I think that what I would actually pick is I wish Rio in my yes house. Just a big banner, picture of Rio Ferdinand, hashtag five, I wish Rio in my yes house. No idea what that means. It's glorious every week. I mean, you know, it's there are too many. I'm so nervous that I know I'll have diarrhea before the game. Hashtag stalk. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I appreciate life more because of glorious Shinji. That'd be a phenomenal banner. Good gaze well done and always riding on top with lots of comfortability. The legend Giggsy has no expiration date. This this one, not so much a, a, a banner as a team talk. Valencia, I have a good idea. Please, try to be world class. Now, if only someone had told Tony that one. Yeah. Some nights I lay in bed and just think about Mystic Shinji. We all do. We all do. <laughs> Kagawa, like a storm of butterflies to the opposing rivals. Love life. Love Shinji. Did anyone see that Valencia did not play like rotten spinach today? That was after a, a good Valencia performance. I laugh and prance for, sh- for Kagawa. So mystical, like a peasant. Shinji reminds me that life is graceful. MUFC underscore Facebook, the best thing about the internet. I loved Mr. Alex Fuxon. <laughs> Are we need to players in shifts winter? I want to win the championship. It's a question. Perhaps rhetorical for Mr. Fuxon. I quit my job because I like Manchester United a lot. Full stop. Ryan Giggs is very old. It's factual. It is. It is factual. Apart from Rio, I wish Rio in my ass house. Maybe my very favourite ever at MUFC underscore Facebook post turned into a brilliant cartoon by Liz Worsley was De Gea the Arctic Monkey Shined Majestic. Nice. <laughs> I was having a debate with a friend of mine exactly what animal David De Gea looks like. I mean, you know, there's a llama. Yeah. That's, you know, that's the kind of obvious one. There's, yeah. There are monkeys. Yeah. He, he does look like some monkeys. He does. <laughs> He's had werewolf tendencies. I like the fact that you said he looks like some monkeys. And I don't know what you mean. You mean there are a few different types of monkey that look a bit like De Gea. But the way his, like, arms and legs flap around, it kind of looks like there are some monkeys in the goal. Three or four monkeys. Uh, it, sorry, you were saying uh, after monkeys. If you sat a herd of monkeys down in front of a typewriter, they'd save Cristiano Ronaldo's header. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, llama, monkeys. What was the other one? Werewolf. Werewolf, yeah, unquestionably has something of the lupine about him. Just regular old wolf as well. Yeah. But yeah, whatever animal he looks like, he for sure looks like a goalkeeper nowadays, which is nice. I jizz my pants every time Van der Bullet scores. Better orgasm. At... P. Duggan 13 says, Now Sunderland have a fascist manager. Which political figure, alive or dead, would you appoint as United manager? Alexander the Great. We've had him. Because, you know, he just destroyed everyone in front of him, like Fergie. Yeah, well, I was going to say, like Alexander the Great's been our manager for the last 25 years. Interesting. I think I'd go for, you know, someone with a bit of a... a bit more of a, a peaceful approach a bit more of a love thy neighbor approach you know i go i go for a bit of bit of gandhi julius caesar he, he liked loving his neighbor his neighbor's wife <laughs> which political figure alive or dead would you appoint as manager of man united 
Eric Cantona. There you go. That's my answer to that question. Okay. At United underscore Carolina says, and I've done a bit of pre-preparation on this one, so I'm sort of cheating. Create a United best 11 past or present players, but using only defenders. So uh, I've gone for, you know, Fergie era, players that I've I've seen play rather than players I've heard about uh, in the past. And I think it's pretty clear who's got to go in goal. It's a very difficult shout, really, because, you know, defender is such a limited way of describing this man's renaissance talent. He really could play anywhere on the pitch, but I think of of, of all his non-central defender related talents, his greatest gift was his ability in nets, and that's uh, of course the legend that is John O'Shea. An obvious choice, yes. My choice too in goal. Yeah, uh, at right back, very simple, Gary Neville, because yep. he's an excellent right back and he wouldn't be much cop anywhere else. And at left back, the great Dennis Irwin. Obviously. I think we're, we're probably going to pick the same team here, but um, and in central defence, I, I went for Pallister and Stam. Okay, no, no, there you go. We've not got the same team because I went for Nemanja and Yap at central defence. Very good. Uh, in midfield. Yeah. This could easily be a midfield. Jones, Johnson, that's Ronnie. Yeah. Neville, Pip Neville. Okay. And Ferdinand, he's played there in midfield a couple of times. You, you've just picked four central, you've got four central midfielders in your team. Is that what you're saying, Ed? I've got, yeah, it's in a diamond. Oh, and uh, yeah, sorry, it's five. I've got Lee Sharp because he started life as a left back. Uh, mine's better mine's definitely better I've got a proper right winger in Raphael proper left winger in Patrice Evra and the central midfield partnership of Ronnie Johnson and Rio Ferdinand because the amount of skills in that central midfield you know plentiful so I've gone for standard 4-4-2 number 9 John O'Shea of course you know he can can run back when the other team's got the ball and go in goal but yeah you you want him as the Czech artista I think in this lineup. or or potentially David De Gea if I'm allowed to cheat and have a goalkeeper in there well that's cheating uh, I'd have Dion Dublin up front because he finished life as a central defender. No, he's a, that's the other way around. That's an all all defend all attackers lineup. Sir Ferguson colon please comma control your orgasms. <laughs> you just like all the ones that are about orgasms, don't you? Ed? Hey, look, that's what MUFC underscore Facebook talks about. Apparently, my number ten would be Big Steve Bruce. I think I think he could definitely do a job for you up there. So I reckon my my lineup. Of John O'Shea in goal, Gary Neville, Dennis Irwin, Nemanja Vidic, Yapstam, Raphael, Ronnie Johnson, Rio Ferdinand, Patrice Evra, John O'Shea just behind Steve Bruce. Those players all in their prime. That That is a one serious football team made out of entirely of defenders, I reckon. Pretty good. Shinji, flying high like a frog in the sky. He does that. The great MUFC underscore Facebook easily 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 one of the greatest accounts on the whole of twitter just a relentless relentless outpouring of joy we are swimming in a pond of victory rafa's golazzo makes me ponder at what life is because of intense joy what feeling is that which i grasp (laughs) shakespearean what a response to his goal against qpr what a sweaty game i feel so sweaty ferguson's army enough with the eyebrows angry time for wins and this one, I know you'll agree with, Ed. Rooney's penalty makes me want to eat poisonous meat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Michael Carrick is my tropical paradise to make orange juice. Quite. Many, many things have been said about Michael Carrick. Perhaps not that, ever. So, Carrick will definitely be playing against Manchester City on Monday. You know, there's a serious side to all of this, and that's a game. That is coming up. That does count for something, at least. No, it doesn't count for, doesn't count for anything, fortunately. Because if it counted for something, I would be terrified. 
Yeah, I'm just hoping that Ferguson, much like I suppose earlier in the season when he actually put out a bold side against City, goes nice and bold again, you know? Just to make up for the travesty, the utter travesty that was City away last season, about this time last year. Yeah, I mean, of course, there was a, something of a travesty at home against City too. I don't know if you remember that one. Anyway, look, forget that. It didn't, didn't happen. The, the chant went up on during the game against Sunderland. We're having a party on Derby Day. You know, uh, so hopefully we will be having a party which doesn't just involve us singing about how many points we are ahead, but actually s- involves us being some goals ahead as well. What do you do? for the team selection because basically the only team selection that I can find a good argument for is an incredibly narrow diamond style formation with getting like as many of kind of Shinji, Welbeck, Rooney, Van Persie, maybe even Chicharito, just stick them all up front in some description and just do away with the concept of wingers altogether. Yeah, so uh, that is actually it's an interesting one because he, he might go with the diamond. It's not really happened for a few weeks now, has it? Uh, I mean, you know, logic would say that he probably won't do that because that's not really what he's been doing since around the turn of the year. He has stuck with Antonio Valencia, even though Valencia has been in terrible form. You'd think he'd probably go with one of Valencia or Nani. On the left wing, it's one of Kagawa or Young. Probably Rooney will come back because it looks like he's fit. He'll, he'll partner Van Persie. And, and the only question then is who plays alongside Michael Carrick? It's probably Tom Cleverley. But, you know, who knows? Ferguson likes to throw in a surprise in these big games. Is Raphael going to be back, do we know? Yeah, I'm not sure that he will be, so that would be a question of who... I mean, assuming that Evans definitely starts and probably alongside Nemanja, then then maybe it's Chris Smalling at right-back or Jones if he's fit. I quite like the idea of playing like a 5-3-2 <laughs> just, for, just for larks, play with wing-backs. I don't know what we're going to do because you say definitely pick one of Nani or Valencia, but I would definitely be happier with a team sheet that doesn't have either of them on. And and that's not, you know, I, I've got a lot of love for Tony Valencia He's last season, as you've said so many times when people have been writing him off this season. He was kind of, he, he, he was player of the season. At all the, he won all the MUTV awards, didn't he? Uh, well, no, the club awards. But I'd be much happier if he doesn't play and much happier if Nani doesn't play um, because they've both been truly awful. Just, you know, like properly really, really bad. Like they shouldn't be allowed to play the next game bad. Yes, well, I mean, I'm not sure I'd always categorise Valencia's performances like that. They've been limp, you know, They've, there's been nothing there, right? And I suppose that's bad. Nani's the one who can really throw in the truly awful performance. And uh, and I, I have to say, I've, I'm not sure I've seen a worse performance from a player than his against Everton on the opening day of the season. That was truly awful. He was trying to see if he could match that in the game against Chelsea. Yeah, not not quite, nearly, nearly did. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, what do you think Fergie will do? You think he will play basically a 4-4-2, essentially? Yeah, I, I think he'll play a lopsided 4-4-2. I think Higao will come back into the side and, and he'll play fairly narrow. Right. And of course, of course, Giggsy plays in a lot of these games. So there's a, there's a chance that he could play rather than cleverly in, in central midfield or they might throw Jones into central midfield with Giggs. That's another option and, and lose one of the wingers. Right, yeah, okay. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind that, really. I, I mean, I don't think he'll go very defensive because it's just not our strength, really, is it? Even though, you know, obviously we've been keeping fantastic clean sheets. It hasn't been by playing super defensive. There is no Jisung Park in this United squad, so he, he can't go that defensive, can he? 
one of the travesties of recent seasons when Park played. No, I've got some real anti-Park bent here, but he hadn't played for weeks and then suddenly he was turning up in a crucial game at Manchester City and he actually went ultra-negative and paid rightly so for it. You know, that's where the title was really lost last season. And people kind of forget that amid the drama of the final se- final day. So, no, he won't do that. I think he'll be much more positive because that's just the nature of the team we've got. There's still the risk that he'll throw out the tombola, though. It happens. Yeah, absolutely. He loves it. Michael Phelan will be spinning it as we speak, getting ready to do some tactical wizardry. Um, Yeah, who, who knows? I mean, I've got very low expectations for this game. I think United are going to lose. Hopefully, they'll get their mojo back and they'll get their motivation back. And if they do, then, you know, if, I, if you could tell me now that United will be super up for it and playing at something like their best, then I think they'll win. I just, the last few weeks would point I mean everything that's happened since the red card in the Madrid game uh, with the exception of the first 10 minutes of the home leg against Chelsea would indicate to me that we are not going to beat Manchester City yeah form doesn't point to it does it I mean not that City are playing particularly well I actually think it's going to be a draw um, I'm going to get you know the incentive is there for United to, to take a draw that's fine that pretty much seals the title doesn't it you know City have to win and and then even then it's uh, they're looking for a miracle what, what do United need now eight points in eight games something like that and that it's really not very much so um, if I will take a point and uh, I think the players would too and so it comes down to the details after that so uh, yeah I think a, a one all draw Okay, I think I'm going to sadly predict a 2-1 City win, but hopefully a good sort of party atmosphere. Because, you know, you look at the fixture list when the season comes out, and this one had a big flashing siren above the top of it, didn't it? You know, game against City in April. Uh, What does that mean? That means title decider, you know, or at least a game that's going to have a huge say in the title race. But in fact, what we've got is a position where, as you say, we need a very limited number of points from the games remaining, and we have many, many any winnable games in it and this this game is a sort of luxury basically might be a luxury for Carlos Tevez as well who uh, didn't go down sadly for driving while uninsured uh, and banned I think he got an extra six month ban and 250 hours of community service so Carlos Tevez may be around your neighborhood clearing bins soon yeah, the, the Sun newspaper is a despicable organ and, uh, you know, full of vitriol and, and has, has been a really destructive force in society. And I think we'd all be better off if it didn't exist. But they did write the headline, Don't Cry For Me, RG Cleaner, about this, which does earn them some some kudos. That they've just slightly nudged their karma out of the devastatingly evil zone into the just massively destructive and wrong zone. But it'll no doubt flop back pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm going to be getting my bins out and hoping Carlos, Carlitos will be coming around and cleaning them out. Yeah, I mean, you know, at, at, when Eric Cantona was given community service for fly-kicking a fascist, he didn't know he was a fascist. He just kicked him because he was annoyed. It didn't make him a hero. But anyway, I will, I will retrospectively apply heroism to the action. When did Eric kick De Canio? <laughs> yeah, he was given community services, did a lot of work in schools and kind of cited that as making a big difference to the rest of his career, really, in the way he kind of perceived himself as a player. And you wonder if the same will happen for Carlos. <laughs> maybe not so likely. Yeah, maybe he could give some golf lessons to the kids. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess that's it for a week. And we've managed to fill a good hour of show there, even though there's been very little to talk about. You know, we'll, we'll manage to drag them out for like this for the rest of the season, I suppose. Uh, in the meantime, you can get us at facebook.com forward slash United Rant. You're much better going over to the Manchester United Facebook page. Much more entertaining. 
or on Twitter at United Rant or at UTD Rantcast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I think we've basically just worked out what we're going to do with the rest of the season, which is we're just going to read out from MUFC Facebook. So if you don't like that, unsubscribe now. But if you do like that sort of thing, then write us a nice review on iTunes. Always much appreciated. Thank you for the people that have done that between the last show and this one. That's, that's really super cool of you. So thank you. You can get us on the show page at unitedrant.co.uk where you will also find, no doubt, at least some extremely high-quality Manchester United content. doesn't quite generate the volume of articles it used to, does it, Ed? But the quality has not dipped one iota. Still a fantastic source for in-depth and interesting coverage on all things United. Well, yeah, not sure about the latter bit, but yeah, the volume has been somewhat of a problem. You know, it's it's hard being a globe-trotting playboy. Yes, clearly. I have my fans that I have to go see around the yeah, world. absolutely. That's... It's just like that. It is just the way it is. It's just like that, like strawberry syrup. No, I don't want to bring up Denver, but it's painful memories now. So you predicted 1-1, I predicted 2-1 win to City. I think either way we predict that hopefully it's not going to have too much of a bearing on the title race as a whole. And we'll be back uh, at the same time next week to dissect all the action that's gone down and preview whatever's to come and find things to talk about in the world of Manchester United.